0: This is section 122 of Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Newspaper Articles by Mark Twain, section 122, The Galaxy, November 1870, part 3. The Galaxy, November 1870, Memoranda, by Mark Twain, Favors from Correspondence. Out of a rusty and dusty old scrapbook, a friend in Nevada resurrects the following verses for us— Thirty years ago they were very popular. It was on a wager as to whether this poem originated in the Noctus Ambrosianae or not that Lester won two thousand pounds. The Lawyer's Poem Whereas on sundry boughs and sprays now diverse birds are heard to sing, and sundry flowers their heads upraise to hail the coming on of spring, the songs of the said birds arouse the memory of our youthful hours, as young and green as the said boughs, as fresh and fair as the said flowers. The birds aforesaid, happy pairs, love midst the aforesaid boughs and shrines in household nests themselves, their heirs, administrators and assigns. O oh, busiest time of Cupid's court, when tender plaintive's actions bring, season of frolic and of sport. Hail as aforesaid, coming spring. Occasionally from suffering soul, there comes to this department a frantic appeal for help, which just boils an entire essay down into one exhaustive sentence, and leaves nothing more to be said upon that subject. Now, can the reader find any difficulty in picturing to himself what this subscriber has been going through out there at Hazel Green, Wisconsin? Mr. Twain, my dear sir, do not in your memoranda forget the traveling book agents they are about as tolerable as lightning-rod men especially the red-nosed chaps who sell juveniles temperance tracts and such-like delectable fodder yours etc a subscriber such subscription canvassers probably are all this correspondence fancy paints them none but those canvassers who sell compact concentrations of solid wisdom like the work entitled The Innocence Abroad, can really be said to be indispensable to the nation. In a graceful feminine hand comes the following, from a city of Illinois. Reading your remarks upon innocence in a recent galaxy, I must tell you how that touching little obituary was received here. I attended a lecture, and sat beside and was introduced to a young minister from Pennsylvania a few evenings since. Having my galaxy in my hand, and knowing the proverbial ministerial love of a joke, I handed him the little poem, simply whispering, Mark Twain. He read it through gravely, and in the most serious manner turned to me and whispered, Did Mark Twain write that? Breeze there a man with soul so dead. If this is a specimen of your Eastern young ministers, we Western girls will take no more at present, I thank you. Speaking of ministers reminds me of a joke that I always thought worth publishing. It is a fact, too, which all the jokes published are not. The Reverend Dr. B. was minister in our stylish little city some years since. He was a pompous, important, flowery sort of preacher, very popular with the masses. He exchanged pulpits with old Solomon N., the plain, meek old minister of the Little C. Church, one Sabbath. And the expectant little congregation were surprised when the grand doctor arose and gave out as his text for behold a greater than solomon is here it is said that once a man of small consequence died and the rev t k beecher was asked to preach the funeral sermon a man who abhors the louding of people either dead or alive except in dignified and simple language and then only for merits which they actually possessed or possess not merits which they merely ought to have possessed. The friends of the deceased got up a stately funeral. They must have had misgivings that the corpse might not be praised strongly enough, for they prepared some manuscript headings and notes in which nothing was left unsaid on that subject that a fervid imagination and an unabridged dictionary could compile, and these they handed to the minister as he entered the pulpit. They were merely intended as suggestions, and so the friends were filled with consternation, when the minister stood up in the pulpit, and proceeded to read off the curious odds and ends in ghastly detail, and in a loud voice. And their consternation solidified to petrifaction, when he paused at the end, contemplated the multitude reflectively, and then said impressively, "'The man would be a fool, who tried to add anything to that.' Let us pray." And with the same strict adhesion to truth, it can be said that the man would be a fool who tried to add anything to the following transcendent obituary poem. There is something so innocent, so guileless, so complacent, so unearthly serene, and self-satisfied about this peerless hogwash, that the man must be made of stone who can read it without a dulcet ecstasy creeping along his backbone and quivering in his marrow. There is no need to say that this poem is genuine, and in earnest, for its proofs are written all over its face. An ingenious scribbler might imitate it after a fashion, but Shakespeare himself could not counterfeit it. It is noticeable that the country editor who published it did not know that it was a treasure, and the most perfect thing of its kind that the storehouses and museums of literature could show. He did not dare to say no to the dread poet, for such a poet must have been something of an apparition. But he just shoveled it into his paper anywhere that came handy, and felt ashamed, and put that disgusted published by request over it, and hoped that his subscribers would overlook or not feel an impulse to read it. Published by Request Lines Composed on the Death of Samuel and Catherine Belknap's Children By M. A. Glaze Friends and neighbors all draw near, and listen to what I have to say, and never leave your children dear when they are small, and go away, but always think of that sad day that happened in year of sixty-three. Four children with a house did burn—think of their awful agony. Their mother she had gone away, and left them there alone to stay. The house took fire, and down did burn before their mother did return. Their piteous cry the neighbors heard, and then the cry of fire was given, but ah! before they could reach their little spirits had flown to heaven! Their father he to war had gone, and on the battlefield was slain. But little did he think when he went away, but what on earth they would meet again! The neighbors often told his wife not to leave his children there, unless she got some one to stay, and of the little ones take care the oldest he was years not six and the youngest only eleven months old but often she had left them there alone as by the neighbors i have been told how can she bear to see the place where she so oft has left them there without a single one to look to them or of the little ones to take good care oh can she look upon the spot where under their little burnt bones lay but what she thinks she hears them say "'Twas God had pity and took us on high. And there may she kneel down and pray, and ask God her to forgive, and she may lead a different life while she on earth remains to live. Her husband and her children too God has took from pain and woe. May she reform and mend her ways that she may also to them go." and when it is God's holy will, oh, may she be prepared to meet her God and friends in peace, and leave this world of care. Nicholson, Pennsylvania, February 8, 1863 End of section 122